Hello. 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 And welcome to Pioneers Post podcast. Social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world. There are lots of ways one might define a good leader, and many figures one could readily select as examples. But at Pioneers Post, we're interested in a specific kind of leader. We're looking for those leaders who are both trying to make a difference and doing business differently. These are the leaders treading that fine line between money and mission for the benefit of people and planet. So welcome to the Good Leaders podcast with me, Tim West, founding editor of PioneersPost.com. Hello and welcome to the Good Leaders podcast with me, Tim West from Pioneers Post. And this episode, my guest is Katie Buckingham from Altruist Enterprises. Katie, hello. Hi. Hi, good to have you here. So look, let's jump straight into um, an explanation from you about what Altruist Enterprises is all about. What does it do? Where are you based? What's your role there? So Altruist Enterprises is a specialist provider of mental health and well-being training, consultancy and support to businesses and schools across the UK. We're based okay. in Birmingham. Uh, I personally live uh, in Solihull and lived here uh, most of my life. And um, But we, as I say, work across across the UK. Brilliant. And so what's your business model then? How do you make money and how, as a social enterprise, do you also make impact? How does it all work? Yeah, of course. So um, essentially, we sell training courses. So we go into businesses and um, we try to provide a tiered approach whereby we um, work with senior leaders and managers to train them on how to build, I suppose, a a long lasting wellbeing culture within their organisations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then train the management team, first of all, to, to look at how they can manage their own mental health, but then how can they spot the signs and provide that appropriate support to team members. Okay. And then following that, we work with employees to look at how we can build resilience, and, and particularly in this world where a lot of us are working hybrid now, how do mm-hmm. we maintain that work-life balance and um, support our own well-being? So essentially, we we sell the training courses. In terms of schools, it's very similar. So we um, provide training to, again, senior leaders, um, but that's actually funded through a Department for Education grant. So right. we were one of the first um, DfE-assured providers of uh, senior mental health lead training, which is a government initiative um, taking place from 2021 through mm. to 2025. Um, okay. And then I'm sure you'll ask me a bit later about how we plan to grow the business and that's something else that we hope to sell so, so to speak so kind of transitioning our business model um yeah. at the moment yeah quite often social enterprises start off with an opportunity maybe brought about by a, a government grant or something like that and then try and put a business model around it so i guess you're going through that process at the moment aren't you because obviously the grants won't be around forever yeah, of course. Yeah, but it was um, a really exciting opportunity, actually, with schools in that um, the government's looking to train one senior mental health lead within every school in England by 2025. And essentially, okay. rather than having initiatives that are ad hoc and perhaps more reactive, it's about having a um, strategic person responsible for overseeing the whole school approach and the different aspects of what that might be. So essentially, training 
um, them to build their own well-being strategy within their setting so that might incorporate sort of curriculum teaching and learning the ethos to leadership and management how um, they gain referrals for the young people so um, I suppose that provides also us opportunities to go in and refresh that knowledge but also continue our work with the rest of um, the staff and also the pupils. Yeah okay so tell us why you launched Altruist then what's the story behind it I think it's it's celebrated its 10th anniversary either recently or is about to is that right? Yeah, so that'll be the 1st of August. So um, in terms of when I started the company, I was actually at college at the time. So I couldn't um, actually run run the business (laughs) because I was still studying. So um, I was quite keen actually to set up the business. But I actually started it in August, which is when I left. And essentially the summer holidays, (laughs) which I I started the business. Um, Gosh, so you came straight out from doing a, uh, was it a degree or were you doing your A-levels? What was, what sort of stage were you at? So um, I actually attended the Peter Jones Enterprise Academy, um, okay. where you gain entrepreneurship skills. So um, if I if I take a, a step back a little bit, so the reason I started the company was because I started experiencing problems with anxiety from a, a very young age. Mm-hmm. So from about the age of six, I, I started um, noticing symptoms. Obviously, I know that now, but at the time, I just didn't quite feel right. I wouldn't know mm. how to explain it. Obviously, it's quite difficult for someone of that age. Um, when I was 10, it got a little bit worse, and I, I would have identified that now as probably an anxiety disorder, but tended to manage it myself. There was you know, good periods and, and bad periods. Yeah. Um, but it got to a point where I was 15 when I, I finally got um, put on the waiting list for mental health services, which was about 12 months. Um, I had to wait for that, which is not uncommon. It's, yeah. I'd say uh, these days sometimes that 12 months is probably a good <laughs> waiting time, unfortunately. Um, but throughout that time of my recovery, I realised that um, the problems that I had weren't just unique to me, even though I, I thought that I was the only one, like a lot of people. Actually, there was so many people experiencing issues, even people that I knew, but you didn't really talk about it. And obviously the taboo and the stigma around it. So um, when I was 17, I decided that I wanted to make a social change and make sure that people got support that they needed earlier without fear of discrimination. And my focus would be young people because that's what I knew, having experienced anxiety for the majority of my life. Mm. Um, So I was part of a youth group, which led me to be on the um, youth council. Um, So essentially it's like councillors within a local authority but you've got the youth version who kind of feed was that solely whole council or birmingham council um yeah that was that was solely whole council yeah yeah. and then from there um i was introduced to an opportunity well a charity called change makers based in birmingham and um they were keen to get young people young change makers into make making decisions so essentially um solely or council partnered with change makers and then i was Mm. chosen from an interview process as a change maker um and began delivering mental health workshops into school so got some funding to do that and i suppose from someone who was um quite anxious and low for a long time it just it sparked something in me i felt like this was what i needed to do because yeah. I felt like this was this was it. <laughs> it's, it's weird yeah. to explain, but it, it kind of like, oh yeah, this is what what I should be doing. This is what I really enjoy. Mm. Um, but because I started it off as 
a voluntary type thing. Obviously, we got funding, but all the funding was going towards the resources and, and travel and all that sort of thing. I wanted to make it into um, a business, but didn't really know how to do that. And that's what led me to the Peter Jones Academy. So I did do my A-levels. And throughout that time, uh, doing my A-levels, I used to have stands in the um, in the ca- in the cafeteria and <laughs> getting mm. students walking past to talk about mental health. So I was probably that that person. <laughs> I know it's her again. Um, sort of a campaigner and an entrepreneur at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I started off as a campaigner. I'd still describe myself as a campaigner. That's right. Yeah, campaigner for change, definitely. But I think enterprise comes in when you've got to actually make a living, <laughs> doesn't mm. it? So, um, yeah. So from there, um, I went on to the Peter Jones Academy. I actually started a pet product business when I was there because I realised, having done mental health for a few years, that I didn't want to be seen as a mental health person. I right. just thought, in order to be a proper entrepreneur, you have to have different things you're involved with because I'd seen these people so-called entrepreneurs with like five different businesses um so I set up a pet product business and it failed but actually learned a lot from it and but one of the biggest things I realized was it was that it wasn't me it didn't feel the same um so so your heart wasn't behind it so much no no and if it was like helping maybe helping sick pets (laughs) that might have been something but I I feel like any business or enterprise I have to run has to have a social purpose to it because it doesn't doesn't do it for me (laughs) and so what was it was this pet food or pet toys or a mixture of things or um so it was puppy starter packs for um small breeds so essentially when if you're getting a new dog and you don't know what to get for them essentially from the breeder for example or from the shop you can get everything that you need um, so you had the answer to that. yeah um and you developed that with the peter jones academy and at this point I, we were just um for those who don't know peter jones is one of the very famous so-called dragons from from tv's bbc tv's dragon's den so um and and therefore a supporter of lots of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial businesses in the uk and, and, a, and a very successful entrepreneur himself but uh how does his academy work then how does that how does that set up so you do gain a qualification which is actually a BTEC qualification um one of my passions alongside mental health is um really raising awareness of vocational education and and different Mm. routes to work um rather than just the academic go to um college do your A levels go to university because that's not not for everyone um, but the way that it works is that it's normally associated with local colleges um, and then the um, programme, which is a year, is run by the Peter Jones Foundation, which right. is um, a charity uh, run by Peter Jones. Um, I've been fortunate to have lots of um, support over the years, mm-hmm. um, you know, School for Social Entrepreneurs, for example, um, okay. NatWest Accelerator. I've been part of quite a few. You've probably, if you've seen my LinkedIn profile, yep. um, I've kind of been on everyone going. I think someone made a um, a joke uh, not long ago, like um, you know Jay from the In Betweeners, where it's like yep. completed it, mate. It's like School for Social Entrepreneurs completed it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> NatWest Accelerator. Yeah. So if there are any I've not done, then I'll I'll be open to uh, find out about them. I think it's. Um, <laughs> Because, yeah, I, I do love learning, but also I like the environment that they create yeah. um, because it's it's okay to fail in those environments. 
yeah. I feel like in a lot of settings and particularly when I was at school, I don't know other people's experiences, but getting things wrong was really mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. Um, and getting things disastrously wrong was even worse. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I always feel like if you get it wrong, actually, that's part of the journey, and everyone supports you. And someone else has probably done that before or ten times worse. So yeah. it just means it doesn't failure is never an end point. Whereas that always, I always felt that it was. But now it's like, well, if I get things wrong, I'm quite happy sometimes that I've got it wrong because part of me knew that it wasn't quite right. Mm-hmm. And now that I know, I can move on. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it sounds like you've been quite um, quite clever in in and quite different from a few social entrepreneurs that I know who tend to maybe be a little bit more on their lonesome trying to get things done and taking everything on themselves. It sounds as though you have where where you can you've joined accelerators, you've got mentors, you've got people to sort of help you along the way, which I think is quite unusual, but can be very, very helpful, obviously. Yeah, I think so. I think for me, though, and um, is that it can go too far the other way sometimes, mm. in that what I've found um, is that sometimes because I don't necessarily have a reference point in terms of a workplace, so obviously I've, yeah. I've started my first social enterprise, so to speak, when I was 17, and then I started Altruist when I was 19. I've not actually worked in a workplace, so I don't know how a big business runs or what the processes are. So my reference point is basically based on people that I speak to. But when you don't see things through your own eyes, it's hard to have that perception, isn't it? You're you're basing Mm -hmm. things on other people's perspectives of a certain situation. So what I've found sometimes is that when I've looked to make a decision or grow the business in a certain way, I will canvas the views of so-called experts because I always mm. used to think perhaps perhaps it's a marketing query or a marketing decision. Someone with 25 years' experience in marketing, I might have in the past gone with what they think over what I think for my business because obviously they know more than me, whereas mm. actually what I've found is that what I feel and what I think I should go with is normally right yes, <laughs> as opposed yeah. to someone who because although they've got that experience they don't know my business like I do sure. and that's taken a lot of sort of growth for me to be more confident and assertive in decision making and I think it mm. does come from not having a reference point necessarily or you know so. And has that been a barrier in terms of the su- support and winning business and contracts and investment and that type of thing? Because sometimes people can look at you and I'm sure admire the journey that you've been on as a sort of self-made, fully self-made entrepreneur since you left college. Um, on the other hand, as you say, some people might not be so keen to invest in you, for example, if if you haven't had experience elsewhere, because all you have is your own your, your own businesses. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. I think there are some people along the way, and there will always be whatever you do, people that don't take you seriously or don't support what you're doing for whatever mm. reason. It might be internal, might be to do with what, what's going on in their lives, who knows. But I think that's why it's so important surround you, to surround yourself with the right people who really understand and who lift you up, which is why yeah. I like to get involved in these sorts of networks particularly like the school for social entrepreneurs the cambridge social innovation prize which was fortunate enough um winning last year um 
but also I think it makes you more flexible and um, agile maybe what I really like about taking on interns from university or college um, to to work for altruist is just how flexible they are and how you can sort of mold their brain so to speak and and listen to their ideas which comes from a place of without having that fixed mindset I think you can Mm. be become a bit institutionalized can't you if you've worked particularly for us the same sector or the same business for so long you kind of have this mindset of this is the way it's done and you can't challenge it I think that's a trait of social entrepreneurs anyway isn't it to sort of uh, not to accept that the world works in certain ways Mm -hmm. and to actually challenge and say well hang on a minute I I don't believe in the status quo and I think it could work in this way Mm -hmm. yeah no exactly so let's get back to um, let's get back to your. Um, you were telling me about the pet food business and the fact that that failed, yeah. um, and and that was good because you learnt lots from that. Um, you were nineteen when you launched Altruist, and that was partly sort of inspired by the, your own experiences with with mental health. But how mm. how did you then launch and mould Altruist into a business? And what did all of that look like in, in year one in terms of, you know, how you were doing? Were you able to pay yourself a salary and all that kind of thing? Yeah, of course. So um, I, I did sort of a Dragon's Den type pitch at the Peter Jones Academy um, yeah. and gained um, a little bit of seed investment to uh, start the company through that. And when I was searching mental health training in businesses and schools, there wasn't much out there. But one thing that I did come across was something called mental health first aid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw that it was originally developed in Australia, came over to the UK um, in 2011, I believe. So it was quite recent to when I started the company. But mm-hmm. I saw that it had an accreditation around it and you could be an instructor. So I thought um, the best thing to do would perhaps to be trained as an instructor so I've got that Royal Society for Public Health accreditation there and then what mm-hmm. I could do is then just start delivering the training myself because I thought that was important so essentially I started delivering training as Katie as altruist basically and yep. also doing the admin and everything else associated with the business <laughs> pretending probably the business was bigger than it actually was um yeah. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I did have a look actually at the, the revenue uh, that we brought brought in. Well, the first year was 17,000. Okay. Um, and we made a loss of 11,000. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So t- for year one, as a 19-year-old, you know, I, don't, I didn't think that was bad at all. But, um, yeah, not, not what you'd want to continue with. But, yes, yeah, it's a good starting point, I suppose. And how did you survive during that year then? I mean, you does that loss include paying yourself, in other words? Or, you know, um, did you have to pay rent? Did you live at home? Oh, yeah. So I lived I lived at home. Yeah, I thought well, one of the reasons why I thought of starting the business at, at that age is because I'd, I live at home. I don't have any kids or any anything really, dependents mm. or anything. So, um, yeah, so I did pay myself a little bit. Um, but what was, I suppose, a good thing at that time was that all my friend or well, most of my friends were at uni so they didn't have any money either so it's not like <laughs> all my friends were going on loads of holidays and I couldn't we were all sort of in the in the same boat so it you I were suppose, all together but you were building a business and they were doing a degree yeah 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 exactly so I think it was a good time um yeah 
to start it really. So I, w- I was always really, really optimistic and I knew that it was it was going to be a good thing because it felt right. Yeah. <laughs> and I suppose I was naive as well in that respect, um, not knowing fully how difficult it would be to start and yeah. run a business. I knew it was going to be hard, but I didn't think it'd be this hard. Sure. But I'm glad I did it, obviously. I was going to ask you how long it took you before you, in- you knew you were onto something quite special, but it sounds as though you knew it was special from the very beginning, which, I, you know, you get that from a lot of people who who do business for social change. But mm-hmm. when did you know that it was really going to work as a business then? When did you get the sense that actually there is a business model that works here and, and it's worth pursuing? Yeah, so as you say, I knew it was big from the beginning, particularly as my experience with the pet product business didn't quite feel the same. But mm. what, what started to happen, the first big report that came out was called no health without mental health and that was a government Mm. report and that was 2011 but then slowly more and more reports around workplace mental health uh, kept coming out and it was like there's been a 50 percent increase in reportable mental health problems and things like that so Mm. i i suppose quite naively um thought that if businesses have a problem the problem's costing them money and it's affecting their staff then surely they'd want to do something about it. Yeah. But they didn't, right. <laughs> especially in the beginning, because I'd go into businesses and I'd talk about what I did and they'd say, oh, we don't have mental health here. Or, right. or shouldn't you do that in a care home or stuff like that? So it was, people didn't quite get it. So right. it was quite difficult, but I knew that it would it would click at some point. So... It was probably and when was that? Because obviously, there were everyone talks about mental health and well being in the yeah. workplace now. And you know, I suppose you could say that largely, you know, you could point to COVID and say, well, that's one thing that has made us all realize that we need to think differently. But I mean, things were happening before then, weren't they? Yes, yeah, so I think it's quite interesting because it seems that different sectors have acted at different times. So, for example, public sector and schools tended to see the value in the training earlier and then that's kind of fed into corporate businesses particularly bigger businesses who have more of a brand and and people you know more resources they tended to start the the mental health training first but it I suppose it was when um celebrities started started speaking out um politicians business leaders so I suppose it really clicked maybe 2017 2018 so it was a long time after I started the business and then obviously COVID's accelerated that. Um, yeah, and one of the, I suppose, problems we've had is that we're not a massive uh, health insurance provider. So our customers aren't massive corporates. They are yeah. SMEs like us. Um, and yeah, we're, we're specialist in that area. So um yeah, it did take a while for people to get up to speed. But obviously, before that, there were people that did get it and businesses that did get it and mm. early adopters. So obviously, we worked from them with them since since I started the company. And it's great that we, we still have clients that um, I had when I, I started the business. So mm. uh, for the past 10 years, we've been working with a lot of the same companies. So that's really positive. And, and how are things going now then? So how many people are in your team? Do you do you have an office? Do you how does it how does it all work? 
Yeah, so we have an office based in Birmingham. Mm. We have our team day on a Wednesday and we work remotely the rest of the time. There's five of us at the minute that are office-based, well, I suppose the office team of various Mm. different roles. And then we have trainers that work across uh, businesses and specific trainers for schools as well. So, um, yeah, we're looking to grow with, as I say, transitioning our business model at the minute slightly um so that will lead to yeah hopefully increasing the team yeah and you you mentioned that you at the moment you don't go into corporates only small businesses smes in other words and and um uh and schools schools you said was a big growth area but would you would you go into corporates as well is that something that you'd look at yeah we definitely look at corporates there are some corporates that we work with at the moment but particularly with our new uh, consultancy service I think that would be something of real benefit to organizations of all sizes. Mm. And explain that consultancy service then what's what's that all about? Yeah so essentially um, over the past what 10 years now we've been very much a training company providing Mm. training courses of various different lengths to organizations and schools Uh, we focus on quality so we get a lot of repeat business as I've I've mentioned people come back to us because of our specialism in in mental health and and well-being and our tailored approach as well rather than providing uh, an off-the-shelf courses in terms of the consultancy what we've identified is that we want to offer more of an end-to-end service so essentially before they implement the training, is it would it be useful for the organisation to undertake a wellbeing audit? And what that would look like is reviewing their existing policies and procedures. It would look at um, gaining employee feedback, senior leader feedback to see, to view wellbeing from different lenses. We often find that with some businesses, what um, the senior leaders are saying and what the employees are saying on the ground can be two different things. So how do we make that more consistent? Sure. And then providing recommendations, which might be then developing an overall well-being strategy. And what that means is that the organisation is viewing well-being from scratch, really, and then implementing the training or any initiatives afterwards and really measuring the whole process to ensure that it's really embedded as opposed to something that's happening in a silo or something that's a bolt-on. So um, that's something that we're slowly transitioning to at the moment and we've we've been successful in selling a few well i don't won't call them consultancy products but consultancy to to a few of our clients so um and it's road testing your consultancy basically yeah of course yeah not and not to say we won't deliver training anymore so if if a client just wants the audit that's fine if the client just wants training if the Mm. client wants a bit of consultancy and a bit of training obviously it's um all still available we're not you know stopping our training or anything like that I was interested in what you said just now about um, sometimes leaders and managers have a different view on kind of what the well state of their well-being of their team is, for example, compared to the team itself. Is your experience that there's often a big difference between what the managers think and what the staff thinks or, or generally do the managers understand, have good understanding of the sort of well-being status of their teams i think sometimes it depends on the manager as well because we often find and a lot of um, companies say this as well is that managers can be promoted to management positions because they're technically good at their job 
but it doesn't necessarily make them good people managers Mm. or it may be they're so busy in what they're doing they don't have time to really check in um, with their team Mm -hmm. Um, but also I think it's around as an external organization having that objective perspective really because Mm. employees even within training environments might be more likely to share with us issues more than they would with their employer directly because they might be worried about that affecting their position in 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 some way so um yeah and I think that's why it's so important to gain feedback because you know they may have different views but you know no fault of anyone's but it's maybe they've not had the time or the resource Mm -hmm. to really look well-being from the beginning and really understand how employees are viewing it apart from maybe a an employee survey which happens once a year but then when it comes to that normally the issues that come out of the survey are focused on the issues that the employee group might be happening at that particular time of the year so mm. it's not really representative of the full the full year do you get a, a sense as well of of how good and, and whether it's any different the approach that you find when you're working with another sort of social business of some kind so a a social enterprise or a charity um, compared to a business in the private sector, for example, in terms of their attitudes and how well set up they are in terms of looking after the mental health of their organisation and their team. In other words, are, are charities and social enterprises just as good or better or, or worse than other organisations in your experience? I often find with charities and social businesses, because of the, the work they do, they they work tirelessly to support the health and well-being of their service users and those that they support. Sometimes mm. they often forget to take care of their own well-being. Yeah. I think sometimes it's a bit like um, maybe a chef that works um, all hours of the day at work and then they come home, but they don't want to cook dinner because they're you know, they're tired of doing it. So yeah. I think that can, can relate sometimes to those that support others. And I think those that are caring of nature don't tend to always be a little bit selfish to to take care of the, themselves. So I think mm. when it comes to those that are attracted to working in a social enterprise or charity, sometimes work needs to be done to allow them to take a step back to stop, you know, and think about themselves. If you're looking at the well-being from a strategic point of view obviously Mm. what you want well-being to do is align with their vision mission and values so often vision mission and values of social businesses and charities align with well-being um, whereas uh, corporates may not so much Um, I think though that there are some you know charities there there will be charities and social enterprises that do things really well and there there will be that some needs need improvement in terms of well-being and the same for the private sector as well well that's quite a lot about your organization I'm I'm quite interested in you um, as a person and your experience now and how your background has shaped your journey um, as a social entrepreneur you you've said a little bit about um, you know what what it was like for you starting to experience what you now know as anxiety from the age of nine or so but um, tell us a bit more about about you your backgrounds and what sort of home you came from you know how, how what growing up was like yes yeah, so I'm from very much a working class background um, and went to comprehensive school 
uh, had pretty normal upbringing, nothing really uh, fancy. Uh, went to holidays in the UK. Um, yeah, not had a family member that has started a business. A lot mm. of people say from from what I've seen that you're more likely to start a business if there's, you know, like a parent starts a business, but actually that's not something I, I knew of. I what did your parents that... do? So uh, dad works, is a telecoms engineer. Um, Mom is a um, personal assistant. So, yeah. And what do they think about their socially entrepreneurial daughter? They are really proud uh, and they're really proud of my brothers as well. They would mm-hmm. always say that. They don't they don't have favourites. <laughs> yeah. What do your brothers um, do? So they're both working construction. One's a bid writer, the other is a project manager. Okay. Both okay. successful in their own right as well. Very good. Successful family. <laughs> okay, so back back to you as a leader then. You you find yourself in this position of being a, a leader of a team. What what's the biggest challenge do you think that you've had? to face so far as, as a leader of an organisation and how have you how did you deal with that challenge? I think as a social enterprise leader, well, as, I suppose a leader in any sort of business really, it got to the point where I suppose I tried to grow the organisation in various different ways and mm. what what happens with a lot of businesses, it, I kind of kept going back to the same point. So scaling up was an issue for various different reasons hmm. um so i just needed time really to take stock of exactly what's working and, and what we need to do to move forward and um luckily the opportunity for the cambridge social Inter- innovation prize came up so that's something yeah. i applied for which was um uh, support around um your own personal oh. development and that's something i really needed at that time so what we undertook was a strategic review so looking back at the the past nine years, as it was at the time, what what the processes are, what's going well, what exactly what we do, you know, the vision, mission, and values that I mentioned earlier, what yeah. we what we see as our objectives moving forward, and from there we built up a strategy for growth, and mm-hmm. that really helped me to understand exactly where we were going and why, and had recommendations which we've some we've implemented and some that we're in the process of. So I think I really needed that because I felt like I was a bit stuck in a rut, um, so okay. to speak. And so, and that you get £10,000 as well, don't you, which yeah. I guess you've used some or all of that to, to help sort of fund some of your leadership development, have you? Yeah, and uh, coaching as well. I had a um, personal development coach, which I found really useful. Mm. There were There were three things that we focused on one was to be able to delegate more (laughs) which I think is a problem for for a lot of people um then was uh, celebrate my achievements a little bit more um which would help with sort of confidence in decision making as well and also accept to take some time off (laughs) because I have had time off but I I only ever yeah have maybe a few days to a week at a time I've got a lot better recently actually over the past year um, and I know it's the case for a lot of entrepreneurs, but it's important to have that balance, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so that's challenges and how you've overcome them. Have you ever had a sort of, well, you told me about the failure of your pet business, but have you have you had a particular mistake or failure in, your, in altruist that you've learned from that you particularly can remember? Um, 
Not in particular. I think it's more around learning journeys from a, a personal point of view. And yeah. I think there are a lot of things or smaller failures um, that happen along the way, which you, you learn from and you adapt, whether mm. that be things that are in within your control or things that just happen outside of your control. Mm. Um, so nothing catastrophic, luckily. <laughs> and what's been your proudest moment so far? So, yeah, I've, I've been having to think about this. And um, I, th- I think when COVID hit, being able to transition our business into online delivery when it was our branding was around being a people business we delivered everything face to face and there was a reason for it and being able to transition to online delivery and having the same if not better outcomes in terms of the support that we offered so that I had a lot of time obviously because we had to all stay in (laughs) but basically rewriting all of our courses um whilst also making sure that people were still aware that we were around yes whilst also not making any income (laughs) so it was a bit of a difficult time for everyone wasn't it but I think it was also an opportunity to do things a little bit differently so I'd say that and then following that would be becoming one of the first DfE assured providers for senior mental health lead training because that was something that really enabled us to work with lots of lots of schools within um the period of time uh, yeah. from 2021 to now so and is that the organization that's got that accreditation rather than you personally um, you you're also a trainer the you? organization so, yeah yeah, yeah, organization. yeah so so this podcast is all about good leaders and and by good we partly refer to the the positive mission of the organization and partly to your qualities as a leader so i'm interested what what qualities do you think um, a good leader should have? I think strong values are important. Mm. They they don't need to align fully, but align alongside the, the organisation mm. and not compromising on those values as well. Right. It's always important as a social leader to, it's just that cliche, do what's right, not what's easy. I don't even know if that's a superhero yeah. thing. Um, <laughs> but I think that's really important and making sure people are aware of your uh, values and, and ensuring that the team share similar ones to you. I think also resilience is important. Some might say that running a social business is harder than running a private sector business, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Um, so, and I think social entrepreneurs are inherently resilient because normally they start the social enterprise because of a personal experience and that's helped them to become more resilient so I think resilience is important. What what would your team say are your best and worst qualities as a boss? So I asked one of my team yesterday actually they said I was supportive and encouraging. (laughs) Okay. So I'll take that. I think um, one of my worst qualities um, would be then they fed this back to me sometimes in meetings we'll be talking about a certain part of the business or a certain idea and I yeah. will put an idea forward which in my head makes sense and relates to exactly what we're talking about but totally throws everyone else off like we should try this and they're like how is that related to what we've been talking about but to me it does yeah. and then it's we start I, I suppose I get people to start talking about this new idea I've had 
um, and then implementing that. So I think I can go off, my brain can go off in tangents. Because... It's the entrepreneurial brain. It's always yeah, thinking yeah, of new yeah. ideas, isn't it? That's the challenge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, some of them do really well. Some of them not so much. But you know, you've got to you've got to try things. I mean, you can't be afraid. So I think that's it. Because obviously, there's always an agenda to meetings and always things that we've talked about, and then I'll just throw a spanner in the works. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like you have a pretty good relationship with your team in the sense that you know they can tell you if your idea is stupid or if they don't agree with it. Yeah, I've tried um, my best to build a culture of psychological safety whereby people can challenge me Hmm. um, and I can challenge them back in a nice way. Um, But, yeah, I think that's important because I'm I'm not someone who thinks they know everything because I don't. And also I've brought people on board because they're experts and good at what they do. So I'm Hmm. interested to know from their perspective what they think, um, regardless of their position. So... Um, that's what I want to continue with and I'm very honest about my development areas and where my strengths Mm. lie and and hopefully um, that helps other people to be more vulnerable Um, but I suppose if you really want to know you'd have to ask them. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So in terms of how Altruist is doing at the moment it sounds as though you know you're in a sort of growth phase and stuff but is there anything that's keeping you awake at night at the moment anything that's particularly worrying you? I suppose when transitioning your business model, even just introducing a new product, there's always a fear that what about if it doesn't work or what about if we're putting our time into this, actually it's not something that, you know, is going to work. So I suppose that would be the biggest thing at at this time. And and how about areas like problems like leadership burnout? You've said that, you know, you're you're guilty of, of... doing too much and not letting yourself go on holiday and all that kind of stuff. How, how, how do you deal? Have you ever experienced real burnout and, and how do you deal with that? Yeah, I've, I've experienced burnout before and it's not, you know, not necessarily a great thing to say as a mental health business, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it happens to everyone. I've, I suppose I've become over the years and, and particularly as a young person, quite self-aware right. where, where my limits are. So I can get to the point where I think actually, um, I've done a bit too much I'm going to stop now and I've been able to find more balance so making sure that I have time for myself time for my personal life as much as my business um, and, and, that's and what I've happens developed. in your sorry to interrupt what, what happens in your in your personal life when you know in terms of what you do away from the business what you find time to do yourself that isn't the business and how, how you keep yourself going when times are challenging how, how, how does that work you, you, it sounds as though you've got a very supportive family. Yeah, and supportive friends. So I do all the normal stuff. <laughs> spend time with friends. I've got a dog. Take him out for walks and spend time with him. He's yeah. called Rupert. Um, and, yeah, I love football, uh, play football, and I love um, electronic music as well. Okay. So that's, yeah, what I tend to do. Um, sometimes I'll have quiet days and do a little bit of mindfulness other days I'll just want to go to the gym and you know push myself to the limit so uh, it depends what sort of day I'm having. Okay and and what are your next big exciting plans on the horizon then for for altruist and for you yourself so where, where do you want things to go for you and for the business over the next few years? So having uh, well fully transitioning into this strategic consultancy that that still offers training um, which will help to grow 
grow the business um but also what I'd like to do is set up an altruist foundation. So this is okay. something that I've always had at the back of my mind, but it's never been the right time. Essentially, the altruist foundation is a charity um, which supports youth mental health. So those young people that are on the waiting list for CAMS or mental health services, there'd yeah. be a charity there that provides more proactive support. Quite similar to the youth group that I used to go to, which unfortunately stopped because of funding cuts and funding cuts to the youth service. But that's a whole different conversation. Um, and supporting those young people to um, build self-confidence, build resiliency skills um, and support themselves, teamwork, peer support, but also have um, sort of therapy options as well. So rather than being reactive, actually being as, as preventative as possible and mm. being able to connect with other people, perhaps being out in nature as well, which really helped yeah. me. Um, so that will be mostly funded by, I'm going to call it the commercial business, which is Altruist currently and the profits from that business because okay. I've seen a lot of charities doing really good work or projects doing really good work that have to maybe cut uh, the amount of work that they're doing because of lack of funding or have to stop altogether so I want to make sure that I know exactly that it's getting <laughs> all the all the the funding that it needs not that it won't be you know part subsidized then by other other funds but it's just so I know that it will continue and will have the impact that we want it to absolutely it's a massive area of need isn't it and as you say so many kids are you know on waiting lists to to go to CAMS, you know, the mental health, children's mental health services. And there are very few charities around in, in boroughs all over the country, but there are very few that you can that you can go to. And again, the waiting lists are long or it's it's uh, there are specific criteria sometimes to go and see those charities. And it, mm -hmm. it's uh, I mean, I've, I've experienced this a little bit with my own family, um, you know, more than one of my my kids has at various times needed to access that kind of service and it's been very hard to get the right kind of support actually um and as you say so what, what what's interesting about what you're focusing on is you you want to set up a foundation which is a is essentially a, a, a charity not a social business but you want to put it alongside your business so that there's a sustainable business model i.e. the profits from your business that mm. will continue to fund it. And that's the most important thing, isn't it? The sort of consistency of availability and approach. Yeah, and it's really ambitious. I know that, but I always like a challenge. And if I'm not being mm. challenged, I get bored. So it, it will happen. <laughs> Brilliant. Just before we go, I, I'm, I've got a series of just quick fire questions that I like to ask people um, at the end of an interview where I just ask you to choose between one thing and another. So mm -hmm. um, if you're happy to do that, then I will fire some fire some choices at you and you can tell me um, what you think and just choose one or the other or there may be a particular thought you have about uh, about some of the choices. But anyway, I'll go I'll I'll, I'll start away. Mm -hmm. So first of all, profit or purpose? Purpose. Business or charity? Business. Coffee or tea? Tea. Breakfast or lunch? Oh, lunch. <laughs> Grants or investment? Investment. Health or well-being? Well-being. Chocolate or cheese? <sighs> cheese. <laughs> everyone, everyone gasps at that one. 
Novel <laughs> or Netflix? Netflix. A walk in the mountains or a day on the beach? Beach. Team day out or a one-to-one? Ooh, that's a hard one. Uh, let's go for team day out. Okay. Greta Thunberg or Michelle Obama? That's interesting as well. Um, Greta Thunberg. Let's go with that. I'm going to test your entrepreneurial and your footballing loyalties now. Peter Jones or Karen Brady? Uh, I'll have to go Peter Jones because of the foundation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are you a fan of Karen Brady? Yeah, I think she... Does she live in Solihull as well? So, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think... I think I'm sure a kid's went to Solihull school. Um, okay. <laughs> okay, confidence or resilience? Resilience. Adventure or commitment? Commitment. Entrepreneurs or altruists? Altruists. <laughs> had to say that, didn't you? Yeah, evolution, yeah. evolution or revolution? Revolution. Katie Buckingham from Altruist Enterprises, thank you very much for joining me on the Good Leaders podcast. Thank you. You've been listening to Good Leaders with me, Tim West, founding editor of Pioneers Post. If you like what you hear or have comments, questions or suggestions for guests, then please get in touch via Twitter at Pioneers Post or email goodleaders at pioneerspost.com.